the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 243 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try and to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I am Charles Alderson. I have just wrapped yesterday on the feature film Three Day Millionaire that I was producing. And wow, I am shattered. It's been five weeks full on. Hasn't stopped. Um, been all sorts to deal with. And it's been wonderful, incredible, difficult, hard. Um, they're the same word really aren't they um it's been everything under a rainbow and i'm looking for the pot of gold <laughs> um wow uh, i don't really know what to say you know jack springs made this amazing movie the cast are incredible it looks incredible andy roger has shot a beautiful beautiful looking film i can't wait for people to see this uh, it'll be a while but i've just finished and I'm too tired to even do this intro. Uh, and luckily, uh, Bijan Tong, uh, today's guest, spared the time today for me uh, to chat about his latest film, Lockdown. Again, I am tired, so forgive me if I'm asking some ridiculous, long-winded questions or whatever. I was just wanting to get an episode out for you guys and to keep keep the podcast going, because that's what it's about. Um, if you like this, do tell your friends. That's how we grow. Um, and if you really like this, go on iTunes and give us a lovely five-star review. And by the way, we haven't had a review for a while. So if you do do one, you've been thinking about it for a while, and you do do one, you do do, uh, then we will give you a shout out. How's about that? Obviously, if it's good. If it's not, then fuck you. Um... Right, so on today's episode with Bijan, I sat down and chatted with him all about his latest film, Lockdown, which is out on November the 23rd in the UK. It stars some incredible people, Xander Berkeley, uh, Kevin Leslie, Olivia Moyles is in there again. Now, Bijan Tong, if you don't know, was on episode 81 of this podcast. Do go back and listen to that. He's talking about his uh, first feature film he made, which starred Kevin Leslie and Olivia Moyles, and it's called The Escort. It's really cool. But this is his latest. He shot it in lockdown, hence the name. That's not hence the name. Uh, And a lot of stuff goes down. It's great. It's a really, really cool little indie film that he he explains how he did it because he shot it in Hong Kong, in Italy, in the USA and the UK uh, without his actors traveling. He also shot this movie twice. He'll come to that as well. He also talks about the Hong Kong industry and making a movie, selling the movie, selling parts of the movie using NFTs. With Orlando Pedragosa, we went deep, and myself and Ian Sharp and Orlando chatted about non-fungible transactions, which is NFTs. We talked about Bitcoin. This is a follow-on. Bijan has kind of made a movie using NFTs. He also talks about his script writing process and that with storytellers um, and how he pursued his investors and made this Hong Kong studio hybrid with his production company as well. We also talk about getting your film out there and getting your voice out there and how important it is. All that's coming up for you on this week's Filmmakers Podcast. I have so many shout outs. I don't even know where to begin. So many people to thank. All my cast and crew. Do you know what? It's been a journey. And (laughs) filmmaking is hard, kids. (laughs) Filmmaking is hard. Uh, I'd say it was like making... um, It's like organising a wedding. Every day. For five weeks. 
but not everything goes according to plan. <laughs> I'll fill you in more as uh, on, on future episodes. But for now, sit back, relax, as I'm going to do. Slide into a bath after I've edited the little adverts for Massive in between, which I hope you enjoy, by the way. I've had some feedback and people say they love them. So I really hope you do. Uh, so I'm going to edit that and then I'm going to slide into a bath coma, into, then into a food coma, and then into a bed coma. <sighs> Sleep. And then after I've risen from this slumber, I shall be heading into Soho to interview Jim Cummings. Yeah, that's right. The writer, director and star of Thunder Road and The Wolf of Snow Hollow because his latest film, The Better Test, is out next week. Uh, I'm also doing that face-to-face. It's my first face-to-face podcast interview for, gosh, maybe two years? And it's with Jim Cummings. Also coming up on the show is Axel Carolyn, the fantastic director and actress as well, but she's now moved into directing and writing, and she has collaborated with Blumhouse on her latest film. So both those episodes coming up very soon for you amazing people. Here it is, our episode of Bijan Tong. Enjoy. Bijan, how are you, buddy? You all right? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm I'm really excellent. Do you, do you get to go back and forth quite a bit between Hong Kong and London? I used to, um, until a pandemic happens. And then, uh, since then, I've been stuck. Because um, in Hong Kong, you have to do a 21-day quarantine. But it's unpleasant. <laughs> 21 a lot. How is it over there with the pandemic? Is it, you know, is the film industry on again? What's happening? Yeah, I think it was one of the first two to actually come back to life. It was a weird thing. Um, so we had first mainland China just going back because it clamped down quite hard uh, mm-hmm. when the pandemic broke. Uh, and then Hong Kong soon after. I think the thing is back in 2003, they had the SARS outbreak. Right. So mentally, the people there were used to it. And so they were ready. They were following mask wearing guidance and, and you know, social distancing and so on. And so it's, it's literally the typical norm when I'm out and about in Hong Kong, everyone wears a mask. Right. And it's kind of the opposite here in London. Yeah, even on the on the train today, you know, just got back and I was like, okay, well, let's just head in. I had to go in. And no one was wearing masks at all. Maybe one or two people. It's like, wow, wow. Okay, it's changed in the five weeks I've been away. No one seems to be too bothered. It was like, oh, okay, is that how it is then? Right. Yeah, really strange. Yeah, different psychological aspect. Totally different psychological aspect. And like you say, people in... Um, Hong Kong are used to that because of the SARS outbreak. So I think it's it seems to be a more of a normal thing, and then yeah. therefore filming can continue because it did before. That's interesting. Have you worked out there a lot? It's you know obviously the, the film here lockdown. You did obviously. I imagine you did that remotely anyway. But the fact is, do, do you, have you worked there before in the past in Hong Kong? You know, is that something that's been a real passion for you to to make sure you're making films there as well as in the UK? Uh, absolutely. So yeah, I've been doing it for the last two years. Um, we might, I think a lot of lots of people. Um, we grew, I grew up on Hong Kong cinema. So eighties, mm-hmm. nineties, I noticed you had Jackie Chan, Choi Hark, Jockey's Jet Li movies and so on. Yeah. Uh, and so it kind of, it's a weird thing that Hong Kong cinema peaked with a departed winning the best picture Oscar. It's like a remake of a Hong Kong film. Yeah. And then it, and it's just, and it's the strangest thing. Like that's the, the crowning glory. And then the last 15 years, it just fell by the wayside. Uh, and so it's a shame because the talent is still there. I mean, it's still exceptional, the work ethic and, and so on. It's a beautiful city. And I just felt that it kind of needs that kickstart uh, in a way that Hong Kong has been focusing so much on mainland, which is fine. 
um, that is kind of lost sight of the rest of the world. And so I saw it as, can we contribute to the resurgence of Hong Kong entertainment? Mm. Uh, can we create more projects which are international in nature? Uh, and so I moved to Hong Kong back in 2019, an interesting period, July 2019, being there. Yeah, and, I can uh, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you moved back <laughs> at the start of the pandemic, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. pandemic was a few months later, but yeah, it was. I mean, there was just so much going on in the, in the city. Right, because um, it was March. It was March yeah. 2019 in the UK and America, wasn't it? Did it take a while to get to, yeah, Hong Kong? Wow. Yeah. Okay, so you moved back and then there was the pandemic. You're like, right, brilliant. Well, what did you do then to survive? Because obviously as a filmmaker, you know, yeah. everything did just stop for a while. What did you do? Yeah, well, actually, um, I partnered with a studio there. So there's a broadcaster called ATV. Um, so they did the Jackie Chan police story series with Donnie Yen, Fist of Fury franchise. And so I came on board as an EP, uh, so as an exec producer to to start spearheading the creative direction in terms of that international element. And so, yeah, I started off looking at what stories we can explore, which are international in nature. Mm. Uh, and, and that actually led me to, to wanting to do lockdown during the pandemic because we had a, we had a lot happening at the time. So, uh, I remember firstly during COVID, my mentor sadly passed away, uh, from complications oh, resulting from the virus. Sorry to hear. And no, thank you. I appreciate it. And, um, and yes, it was a difficult time and I was self-isolating. Mm -hmm. So I was staying in, trying to keep safe. You get the news. Mm -hmm. um, and then right after that, we had the George Floyd process happening. Mm -hmm. And so it's all on the news 24-7. And I'm just literally stuck in this room. All these world events are happening outside. I'm processing what's happening in terms of what's happened and hit me personally. And so it made me want to tell a story about this moment in time. And then I thought it would be interesting to tell a story, you know, lockdown, literally the lockdown, and then explore the events of 2020. And literally, I had the script written um, over the next two months. Uh, and then uh, when we were shooting, even then, I kept on um, trying to update to reflect what was going on. Because all we had just an absolutely absurd time in history. I mean, 40 years from now, people are going to be looking at 2020 and thinking how insane things were from social media misinformation to Trump's tweets mm -hmm. <laughs> to, um, mm -hmm. uh, to, to the different solutions and cures to the, to the coronavirus. Uh, and I thought it would be great to tell a story about this. I love that. I love that when whatever we're stuck with, especially as creators, if we're in a hole, we've suddenly got no money, we've, our life has changed, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've moved out of our loved one's home or some, someone's died. And we, as creators, sometimes we go, what, what do I do here? And, and I think it's great that in lockdown, so many people have got off their asses and gone, do you know what? I'm going to make something. I'm going to take this opportunity. Uh, and like Matthew and Tori Butler Hart with their brilliant film, uh, Infinitum Subject Unknown, you know, really just went, well, we're going to learn how to do this. We're going to go out there and do it. And you've done the same here with this. And it's a very clever, it's a very clever idea. Do you want to tell our listeners what the idea is, what the story of lockdown is? Sure. Um, so it's a thriller about an actor with alt-right views who in the midst of a pandemic decides to enter a video audition and the casting director forces him to pass a series of tests or else someone around him will die. And so it starts off with the most insane audition you can imagine someone will have. <laughs> but then it gets more and more extreme. And as the story progresses, more people literally around the world get pulled into this web, into this story. And there is a, there is a motive. And the main character, this actor, has to figure out what the casting director's motive is. Um, so yeah, very much a thriller. But we wanted to avoid being a Zoom movie. 
Yes, so I figured, sure. yeah, it's uh, I'm developing a host, great host. Zoom film. Totally, great. Zoom uh, film. And yeah. on TV side, we had Staged, and I, mm. I love that show for Staged both seasons. Funny. Um, but I've, I felt for this story, I wanted to shoot it on location. So uh, what was interesting is we had different production teams. So we had a production team in the uh, UK. Uh, we had one in Hong Kong. We had one in Japan. Uh, and then Xander Berkeley plays the mm-hmm. casting director, and he's based yeah. in the US. And then we had me flying between the UK and Hong Kong, directing remotely for the US and Japan and, and Italy, actually. That's, I mean, okay, let's go back to w- the idea and thinking about what I can do in lockdown. How can I still make a movie and, and the Zoom idea and going, oh, hang on, we can still film stuff. And actors are very good with cameras. They do auditions all the time. If we give yeah. them, you know, a microphone, it's going to sound good as well. Talk us through your process and the idea, because I know you love to write scripts. So talk us through how you came up with the idea and what your process was to actually get this down on paper. The idea was initially trying to do something that's self-contained for the most part. So we anchor it in this room where the actor is having his audition. And then we, as the story progresses, we break it out. I mean, I had different scenes and settings in other countries. But for the most part, the through line is this actor played by Kevin Leslie, who I worked with on The Escort, um, sitting in his room and just going through the most hellish experience of his life. Uh, so that was the idea. How And then it became, how can we do it? How can we feasibly achieve it? Mm. Um, and that was when I started reaching out to different actors, explaining the story, the concept, you know, the message. Had you written the script at that point? Or had you yes. just got an idea? Oh, so you had written the script. Okay. So, you know, I had the idea. Um, and then I, I literally wrote it based on, okay, we've got the through line, which is that one room, that one location. Mm-hmm. And then we expand it. And then I was thinking, well, to what we sh- should be doing, uh, essentially. Uh, and yes, I was also thinking, what can I do? In the middle of a pandemic, if I want to shoot a movie on location, mm-hmm. what's available to me? What would be challenging? And uh, I mean, I have this big set piece in Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, and I figured that one, because the pandemic was mostly under control, I would be able to do for most part what I needed to do. Uh, there were certain things that changed in the script uh, because of uh, after com- conversing with the uh, with the authorities there, trying to see what I'm permitted to film, the limited number of people I can have outdoors and so on. I realized certain things I can't do. Like I had a, my original script had sniper fire uh, and someone trying to avoid a sniper running through the streets. And I figured, okay, I can't do it because I'm limited in how many members of a crew I can have outdoors. Mm, yeah, uh, and so we changed that. That's fascinating. What was your yeah. script writing process like then for this? Were you really thinking outside the box? Talk us through your, how you personally write scripts anyway, because I always find that really interesting. Do you, like I say, plot it all out first? Do you just throw it all out there? What, what do you do when you write? Sure, I've got the story beats in mind, so I know how it's going to begin. I know mm-hmm. how it's going to end. And then uh, the journey itself... I try to create the characters first. Like this is who they are. And they shouldn't ever they shouldn't ever become out of character in their actions. I shouldn't force them to do something to help me get from A to B. Right. So right. once I know who the characters are, then I help then I just let them go on their journey. Hmm. And typically I'll nudge them. You know, I'll put something in their way. You're throwing an obstacle and then allow them to to either overcome it or succumb to it. Uh, but yeah, I've always been quite character focused. I'm always interested in both uh, the people around us. And ultimately, we want to create something that's satiating of the characters, uh, sorry, for the actors to play those characters. Mm. Do you find it easy to write? It seems like you do, the way you talk about it. It's like, yeah, I just come up with the idea and then I just throw in little things. It sounds great. Do you, do you find it 
reasonably easy to write and it's never easy but if you know what i mean in terms of relative know, terms. <laughs> it's uh it's easy to write it's difficult to write well <laughs> <So>. <laughs> brilliant yes yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but and and you don't mind you that's the process you love doing that stage i love it passionately yeah it's um because ultimately i mean you and i when what we do uh as storytellers is there are different versions of a script. You start with a screenplay. Uh, later on, uh, you're actually filming it. Later on, you're cutting it. I mean, you you have all these opportunities to to mould it in the way that you've envisaged it. And ultimately, we are audience members. You know, we love movies. That's why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. So, so if what we're writing isn't reflective of what we want to to watch on screen, then we have to go back to it. Like yes. what is worthy of the audience? Yes, and actually being really careful, especially with a film like this, and you're putting in characters that are maybe devious or they're they're not necessarily nice people. And writing mm-hmm. for those characters, you've got to be very careful, haven't you, with that fine balance between making them too aggressive or too racist yep. or too something. You know, it can become a, what you're trying to say, and that's where the fine line is. And I think that's where good writing comes in: is where you really make the audience think about it. Rather Rather than going, this is the answer, uh, and that's and in something like this, it's very clever. I completely agree because it's so challenging um, when we're exploring what was going on during 2020, and you have conspiracy theorists, and you have, mm. you know, uh, and especially the main character, he does have toxic views. He's more of the all lives matter crowd rather than Black Lives Matter, yes. and and you're following him. So mm. essentially, you have to create him in a way that you you don't agree with his views but you don't feel he deserves to suffer in the way that he does. Uh, and, and a lot of it's testament to, to Kevin in terms of exploring the character and trying to find the humanity in terms of why someone would fall into that crowd with belief or spout um, such, such, such nonsense, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Such bile and hatred, and yeah, and, and and it's really interesting that. And we've obviously got to like this character because he's the hero, you know. And I think that's. I think it's fascinating. So you've got your idea, you've got your story, you've reached out to Kevin Leslie and uh, Xander Berkeley, and you're collaborating with ATV. Uh, and, and you know, in the, their history that they've made before, but that's you're saying this is their first English language feature. Is, is that correct? In in their sixty year history. Correct. In over sixty years, I think it's about sixty fifth anniversary next year wow how did you yeah. persuade them to do that <laughs> i know it's it, i mean I'm, i've considered my fortune myself fortunate um but yeah i think they just responded well uh so i was breaking it down in terms of what we should be doing when we're looking at internationally you know the opportunities which exist mm. because uh, films have become more global uh i think we, we saw it from parasite winning the best picture oscar amazing yeah great movie and uh, and i mean squid game right now a korean yes. show has become taken the world by storm. So yeah, I saw it as, you know, the world is more global. We're seeing shows like Narcos um, becoming so popular around the world. And we should be trying to become more open, you know, open our doors, build bridges between the East and West. Mm-hmm. Uh, because ultimately there's an audience out there. You know, why aren't we uh, trying to engage with them? Uh, and yeah. so, yeah, we formed um, AMM Global, uh, which I, I, then, I then ran. Uh, which was yeah. to create international projects. That's ace. Well, and, and did they did they sort of put all the money in? Was it a case of cool? How much do you need? Was it? Had you gone through the whole process and then done budgets and schedules and worked that out? Oh yeah, definitely budget scheduling everything. And no, uh, not for with lockdown. Um, it became a collaboration, co-production. Okay. 
So I still had to put um, some funding in through my company, through Phoenix Waters Productions. Right. Um, but um, but yeah, we we figured we were able to do it, find it a manageable budget that would work for, for for us both. For both sides. So they maybe put in certain amounts or they did the distribution side. They said, look, we can promote this and you put some money in. Yeah, so they've put in, yeah. So it's money, money, essentially. Distribution, we, uh, we decided they have their app. They actually have two apps. <laughs> so um, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, they've got an ATV app and then we've got AMM. I mentioned uh, I had AMM Global because they've created this new spin-off. It'd be like Hulu and Disney Plus. Um, uh, So, But we're not actually uh, looking at that. We're looking more theatrical, Mm -hmm. uh, at least in Hong Kong. Uh, and then we're seeing what what to do in the West. Uh, so we've been engaging with sales agents, distributors, and so on. Uh, but yeah, the, the key thing for us was let's make this film together, first ever English language feature. And there's just been so much support, literally from from everyone I've engaged with, that it, it's it's quite it's quite liberating to feel that you've got that support and you can just move forward, propel forward. Uh, and you're you're only letting yourself down if you don't go all the way. It's wonderfully liberating. It's it's really incredible, mate. It really is. I love the fact that you've you've taken that leap, and you know, I like the hybrid side of things with with different countries. I think that's really good. Oh I yeah, thank like you. Like you say, between the east and the west, it's great. Yeah. It's really great. This is also a uh, the first hybrid NFT feature film. For those of you who uh, listened to our episode uh, three weeks ago with Orlando Pedragosa, um, we talked about NFTs, uh, Bitcoin, and funding your movie that way. Now. Uh, Bizan has also um, done that, and it's the world's first hybrid NFT feature film. Do you just want to explain a little bit to our listeners, in case they missed that episode, but also listeners, if you do want to know more about NFTs uh, and about funding your movie that way, do listen to that episode. Uh, it's really good. Just just type in NFTs or Bitcoin on our website, filmmakerspodcast.com, and you will find it. Um, wherever you listen to your podcast as well, it'll be. Um, so yeah, sorry, Bijan. Yeah, tell, tell our listeners how you did this and what it means. So I mentioned that the film reflects what was going on at the time. Yeah. And, and I kept ever evolving, ever adapting to new things. And obviously NFTs suddenly <laughs> came into place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it made sense that because it's a film about this time, that we should be exploring that, uh, that, that avenue. And so, yeah, we became the world's first hybrid NFT feature and Asia's first NFT movie. Um, I partnered with a company called Marvion, the Marvion Media, Media uh, to mint five NFT copies of a film. So we only have five in the world. Uh, and we decided uh, in two weeks' time to to auction the first two uh, of those NFTs. And then later down the line, the other three. Wow, wow, wow. How cool. Because basically, NFTs are non-fungible tokens, right? Um, yeah. Which is it's the only one of its kind in the world. Uh, it's a bit like a painting, but this is on digital form. And you've got five of them. So it's like a, let's call it a watch, isn't it? There's five of these watches made. So you've done the same here with the film. Now, how do you ask people or persuade people, more importantly, to buy an NFT version of Lockdown? How do you do that? I see it as, um, it's kind of the the ownership element, um, collectible items and and so forth. Mm. Um, So the way I see it is, I mean, in the past, we used to collect DVDs. And one of my proudest items that I have is Kill Bill, the limited edition box set from Japan. So I made 2,000 copies of that. You you know that one? Yeah, Uh, yeah. yeah, with a little toy, with a little keychain and a t-shirt and and like all these little things. And Kill Bill Volume 1 had a black and white sequence in color. And it was just this cool, incredible thing. Mm. And I'm always proud of it, still have it to this day. 
Uh, and so I see it as that, you know, we are, it's artists claiming ownership for their work, but at the same time, it's a way of giving back to the fans. And so this is something that you have, this is yours. You can claim that that, that is yours. And so it's something, again, like I'm proud of my Kill Bill sets. I'm hoping someone who owns Lockdown, one of those five in the world, will be proud of, of owning that. And of course, we are create just like Kill Bill, we have all those little perks. We're doing the same with, with what we're doing here. So they're getting uh, these extra scenes they're getting digital props um they're getting various various items scripts signed posters and, and so on uh just to make it something that that's of value for them i love it it's so cool how do you prove that it's just theirs because because obviously people can buy the movie themselves they can get it uh, from november the 23rd in the uk by the way but how do you how do you prove that it's that that's their special copy or their version well, how do you go about even doing that so one is so it's going to be on okay exchange uh-huh. and so you've got that unique identifier and you've got your nft code so it's in your e-wallet essentially right okay. uh that evidence and then because it's for hybrid nft it also has the legal legal element in terms of the ip ownership licensing rights and, and so forth so you've got all that documentation to evidence that as well amazing how fun uh, what are you are you expecting a bidding war are you exp- you know how are you advertising it in how, talk me through the process of how it's going to work I'm actually, the thing is we're treading new ground. So we mm-hmm. genuinely don't know how it's, how people are going to respond. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I thought so. I was like, because I have no idea. So I'm like, okay, Bijan, surely not, but <laughs> it's, it's new ground. It's true. It's so new. Fascinating. Yeah, so it's uh, honestly unknown. I mean, we had, at the Anthony Hopkins had a movie called Zero Contact, I think it was called, um, mm-hmm. uh, which we did as an NFT. They put that on OpenSea. And yeah, I noticed it was a small number of bids, I would say. And in terms of how many of those bids were from the same person, uh, we were also reviewing that. Uh, and of course, that's Anthony Hopkins, who yeah. had just literally won the Academy Awards again. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, so it's a uh, it's a different thing. But at the same time, I do think that people, more people, are becoming uh, accustomed to NFTs over the past few months. And I think it'll be interesting, even as an experiment, to see how it plays out. I do believe that there's there's something in there. Last week, we sold five pairs of sorry five nfc premier tickets so it was for five pairs of seats to be uk premier and it it defied my expectations they all sold out in seconds what yeah i was expecting end of a week or maybe end of a day or something mm. but seconds less than a minute all of them sold and what do they get for that so obviously because that's not a digital form that is uh coming to the premiere but is that okay as well you know is that that's not an issue yep so um and again it goes back to in a way it's an investment for them a bit like arts collection so mm. what happened was the, the those who had the tickets so they'd receive an nft of that ticket so that's there it's unique mm-hmm. at the vet and it had artwork and so on um and then at the very same time yes you gave the perks which is you're attending the premiere uh, with a cast and crew, there was a cocktail reception and, and so on and so forth. But what interested me is that some of those tickets then sold on at a higher value. So some people bought it, saw it as an investment, sold it on to someone else. And uh, and the fact is you're literally selling these premier tickets, profit, <laughs> profiting of, of it, essentially, because you saw the, the NFT element, that uniqueness element having value. And that fascinated me. I think that's really exciting. You know, it's an exciting thing you're doing. It's an exciting step. Uh, have you found the whole experience? Uh, you know, it was a very, very fun experience. Uh, intense, exhausting. I, I don't think I've had an experience like this before. 
in terms of everything about it, even the way we shot, because we were shooting obviously during the pandemic, mm-hmm. there were restrictions, limitations. Um, uh, but you know, everyone followed the health and safety guidelines and, and were COVID compliant and so forth. And that's, I think because of that, people felt safe. Yeah. Uh, and so people felt comfortable in terms of, look, we're here, we can explore our characters and so forth. And we don't, we know that everyone else is, is wearing a mask on the crew side, uh, and, and, and following that. And yeah, just, just working with different production teams, literally in Hong Kong and the UK and, uh, seeing the way that they, they, they act, uh, or in the case of Japan, engaging with them, having a translator to connect between us and having to direct that way. It was, it was a very, interesting experience but an enjoyable one this intermission was brought to you by massive massive hello robbie (laughs) hi jazz why are you talking like that i don't know just felt like it okay (laughs) as we all know robbie has left us and joined a huge movie studio there his horrible boss has tasked him with developing movie pitches how can i save your job this week robbie yeah it's amazing you have to save it every time isn't it it's crazy um it's, it's almost like it's almost like a concept that we've come up with that it's has almost to like a keep script carrying mm. on every week mm. it gets bigger and bigger you could say it gets massive well yeah you're right <laughs> well this week uh, my boss he wants to make a star wars film okay he, here's his pitch Uh-oh. he wants to, he wants it to be a rom-com of course he does okay so it's not like uh, anakin and padme in episode 1 because no, that was this is going it's going to be no. it's going to be funnier it's going to be like a sparky you know like a, <laughs> like a like a nora efron type like a nancy myers mm. type you know film that, i like that i yeah. like where this like, is like going like a richard curtis almost dare i say it i've got it yeah darth vader falls in love like it See, who's he falling in love with though a co-worker a jedi like what what are you thinking ewok Yeah, uh, we would have to work around the height difference. Hey, when you're lying down, Robbie. Of course. It doesn't bear thinking about, really. Bay! <laughs> uh, I can see, I can just see the scenes now, you know, I mean. Oh, who can't? Uh, who can't right yeah. now? Who can't? I mean, yeah. what, does he take his mask on, mask off? I mean, look, this is a rom-com after all. Maybe that's the ending. I think he'd leave the mask on because he's self-conscious about it. And then maybe at the end, he lets his betrothed Ewok into his kind of weird pod bubble thing that he has in that, in that mm. one scene. And he slowly part. takes the mask off. That's yeah. really nice, isn't it? It's like, it's like the coming together. Exactly. Mm. The climax. Right, I think that's a green light, isn't it? <laughs> that's we're sending it off. That's it. Maybe write a treatment or. No, I don't think it needs one. Who needs it? Who needs it? it? Who needs it? Let's <laughs> go straight to script. Uh, all right, thanks, Charles. Oh, I'm so glad I could Always help you. I'm so glad. Always a pleasure. Yeah. If you have a massive movie idea or any large files or any large ideas, uh, transfer them with Massive, spelled M-A-S-V. Uh, Massive has 150 servers worldwide, and large files don't have to travel far between distant galaxies or data centers. Great if your post house is overseas. Sign up now for Massive using massive.io forward slash the filmmakers and get 100 gigabytes free towards your transfer. You know what they say about Ewoks? No, what? They're barely legal, aren't they? Under the eyes of galactic law. What did the designers of Darth Vader's costume model it on? Is this a real question or is this a pun? Mannequin Skywalker. (laughs) 
That's actually funny. Tell me through it. Tell me through the filmmaking process because it's different to, you know, how you made The Escort. Uh, obviously, you had the same actors in it with Kevin Leslie and Olivia Moyles, who were, were on uh, the last time you appeared on this podcast, episode 83, which is a while ago now, um, with both of those lovely uh, actors as well. Talk us through that filmmaking side. Now you're not necessarily in the room with them, not certainly not all of them, maybe you were for some. Talk us through how you directed people via zoom or via you know however you did it talk us through that so one interesting one unique thing was we shot the movie twice wait what what happened the first time <laughs> <laughs> no i wanted to shoot every every scene where, where kevin's character is engaging with someone okay in both locations so we had kevin in one side and then whoever's performing on the other one and then and then vice versa we had the team then move to the other side to that location shoot them with Kevin on the on the monitor, right? So Kevin would be there for both times yeah. you shot it. So yeah, he literally did two movies away. Wow, wow, wow! All right, no, it's, that's really. I suppose it's like an actor doing the lines off camera when they're not getting their close up type thing. Yeah. I suppose. <laughs> so he had to travel around. Did he travel to Hong Kong? Kevin wasn't no, no, because he's he's stuck in the the UK and his character is stuck there, uh, dealing all these things, but having to protect someone in Hong Kong at one point. Um, uh, so yeah, it was absolutely insane what was going on. But what was interesting is I wanted Kevin to feel isolated mm. in terms of his character when the story begins is already eight days into self-isolating. And so it's a loneliness there. A bit like the loneliness I felt when, when all these things were happening. I'm sure a lot mm. of us felt during the, uh, during the lockdown period. Indeed. And so even when we were shooting, we started by shooting everyone else first. And so Kevin literally is alone. No one there. And it's very, uh, as he was telling me, uh, it's quite alienating. It's quite eerie. You know, you, you've got the direct says so you've got me talking to the other people, just actively can see on screen, me engaging everyone, whereas mm. he's literally stuck just waiting in, in a silent room. So did Kevin have to set up the cameras himself then? Because there's a lot of really yeah. nice wide shots. So yeah, we had to position with uh, DOP. I mean, he was setting up himself while we were telling him how to frame it to get to get what we needed and wow. then we shot okay. that again with cameras to make it not look like zoom got you so but all right so kevin's in his room just to lay the scene for everyone else kevin yeah. leslie the actor he's in his house i imagine or certainly a yeah. location you found right let's go with his house for now and you're now sending a camera to him right and he's now setting that up in the position and it's all on zoom so the dp and yourself can see it and then he's sitting in position going over press record probably doing the clapper a bit similar so clapper was uh on our side just uh, doing that but yeah we um what we did was the first time we shot through zoom mm -hmm. but then we rec recorded all of those zoom shots again with a proper camera when we went to his place so we went to to his location to shoot it in the the second attempt to make the movie <laughs> i see okay I get you now. Right. So you did the first time you did it was kind of a tester, if you like. Agreed. Yeah. Ah, great. Now it makes sense. Right. Yeah. So the second time you actually went there yourselves. Right. Yeah, correct. And uh, uh, again, I have to give credit to Mitch, to Mitch Holiday editing. Yeah. Because I, I knew from the start and I told him that it's, it's going to be different to anything else because we're so dependent on technology. And that mm -hmm. also means the number of screens we see on screen. And so he had to keep overlaying these different images onto Zoom, um, you know, what we actually shot. We had these WhatsApp video call chats, all that stuff being filmed, I mean, overlaid on, on these black screen phones. And, uh, and yeah, it was definitely a very challenging uh, experience even for him, but he is absolutely terrific. He was so passionate about getting this done and you can see it in the work. 
Yeah. Now Mitchell, we we both helped him on his uh he's doing his feature film right now, Murder Ballads. Yeah, yeah yes. we're both helping him on that, which is which is really cool and brilliant that uh, Mitch is going out there and making a film. We're like, yeah, whatever advice. Yeah, of course, of course. And oh, he's and very, yeah, very talented, very gifted, very passionate. It's great to be working with him for, for, for us all. Yeah, well, that's really exciting, isn't it? Uh, Murder Ballads looks great, by the way. We we yeah. talked about that on a previous pod, and I think some of you donated to his crowdfunder for it, but they are f- filming it right now. It's very exciting, and I'm sure uh, Mitch will be on the podcast in a future episode when the film is ready to be released. Exciting. Uh, yeah, so he edited this for you. So that must be that. Were you just sending footage backwards and forwards all the time to him it was everything was done remotely i take it yeah it, very interesting experience again even in post because mm. i was in hong kong at the time uh the time difference was fun yeah, <laughs> in the uk and so we're giving notes on frame uh and so on and because of a different time zone so he's working when i'm asleep i'm working when he's asleep <laughs> and, then we, and then occasionally we'd have four days where he and i would just be going through the film through our notes, making sure that we're, we're treating it in the right way. And the same was true for the colorist, the same was true for the composer, the sound mixer, literally everyone in post, uh, we, were, we were working together in that way. Yeah, I found it interesting. I, I did it on The Stranger in Our Bed, which we've now completed and is being delivered to various uh, distributors and sales agents. Hopefully that'll be out at the beginning of next year. But I remember that was the first time I'd had to do all the post pretty much on zoom and it's yeah. kind of strange it, it's wonderful as well because you can sit in your space and listen to the music or sit but actually being in that the suite right towards the end i managed to for the sound mix we did sit in the suite uh in soho and it was amazing it's a big old uh, delane lee suite oh and it was such a joy to go back and be with people but also interact and talk to people properly about how we can do the post on this film properly. And what sounds do we like? You can't do that as much on Zoom. So it must have been difficult. You must have gone through like times when you're like, I think I can hear that okay. I'm going with this music. I mean, there must have been a lot of that, that you'd kind of, you're hearing it on Zoom. It might be out of time or sync. How was that? Yeah, no, it was. Um, uh, again, uh, Justin Randall was doing the sound mixing, really great, but uh, it was definitely challenging in terms of your listening and you you want to get in the right way but you also know it's going to be a different experience to what you're watching on a big screen um, and so sometimes i'd you know i'm watching on the laptop and i'm putting on the tv and then i'm, and then I'm moving i'm going to a studio trying to get one of those big <laughs> just playing on a, on a massive screen mm-hmm. and and listening to the sound and so forth and thinking oh okay so this is what it's supposed to sound like <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh and it, yeah it's uh definitely took a few goes to get it but he was he was very much passionate again about doing it the right way and I'm, I'm really delighted by what we got in the end yeah you must be it's amazing when the teams pull together like that and you do you know you do go through those struggles I found that in the lockdown as well that not necessarily posters got cheaper per se but it saves you a lot of time going into a studio every day for an edit or you know and the food you have to spend out the meals mm. Whereas, uh, and then you do all that for the, the, the composing side of it. And then you do all that for the sound mix. And then you do all that when it comes together. And then the color grade. And each time, it's wonderful. But yeah. it does add up. You travel every day. You know, you're spending 200 quid a week plus food. Whereas actually you're doing it in your own home. As much as it, it can be lonely and frustrating, we've all got used to this Zoom lifestyle now. And 
there was something about it that I, I much preferred, like I said, going inside the studio. I loved it. I, that feeling of, oh my God, there's my movie on a big screen and oh my God, these speakers sound incredible. This is what it'd be like if it had a cinema run, you know? Who knows yeah. if anyone will hear it like that? I mean, only at the premiere maybe, but he just, just loved it. And I missed that, I think. As we've got used to Zoom and I think we're accepting it, but boy, it's, it is better going back inside and sitting there with the editor and going, oh, that bit, that bit. It is harder yeah. on Zoom, but we did do it. You're right. You're absolutely right. I know you, you missed that. You, you know, as a filmmaker, you want it to be seen in the, in the best possible way. Mm. Uh, and that's why like sound makes we got 5.1, 7.1, because we, we wanted that uh, for, the, uh, for the audience. At the same time, this pandemic has also led to people literally binging content streaming mm. became king yes uh and it made me think that you know as much as we we want for big screen experience you know like june and um, sort of a new matrix and so on at the same time it's good that more viewers can at least have access to your film and ultimately as a filmmaker you just want to make sure they can see it you don't want them to see it on the tiniest screen possible but you want them at least to be able to watch your work and it's great that, that that's become a possibility i'd agree with that i think the streamings for us indie filmmakers this lockdown has been shit but it's also helped us get our movies out to a bigger audience that might not have watched our movie agreed you know? because suddenly they're sitting there going what am i going to watch and they go oh hang on there's because they're scrolling through loads and loads and loads and before they didn't do as much would they go to a cinema they'd be out and you know in the bars and pubs and yeah and because right now in the British film industry, it's the busiest time it has been for films coming out. I do worry that there might be a crash. I do worry that suddenly there's a load of films all going to be coming out March to June and March to Christmas next year. And we're going to get lost in the pile of people now going, well, I'm not watching streaming services as much now because I'm going out again. And it's frightening. It's like we work so hard to get a film made, then how do you find the audience? So how are you doing that? How are you finding the audience? Obviously, you're doing wonderful podcasts like this. But um, but in other ways, how, you, how do we as indie filmmakers get our voices out there and get them heard amongst you know, the James Bonds, but let alone that, you've got your other big indie films that come through that break through like Sensor or... Oh, got host is another perfect example. How, how, what's your plan here to, to, to try and break through? I think there are different avenues. I mean, one thing that benefited me, I guess, with lockdown was we were able to make an international thriller in shot on location, mm -hmm. big scenes, you know, great actors like Xander Berkeley and John Savage and so on. And it was a hybrid between independent filmmaking and the studio system. Mm. Uh, so it, it, was, it became a very unique baby in a, in a way. In terms of getting out there, that and other indie movies, I think audiences, because of the availability of Netflix and so forth, um, they're becoming more open-minded in terms of does the, does the project appeal to me, essentially. You know, I'm reading this log line. Even the star system has changed. You know, it's not as reliant on movie stars anymore. And so we're seeing more and more projects which would otherwise have been ignored being watched by mainstream viewers. In a way, it's, it's kind of like the rebirth of the early 90s. Yes. Uh, so I think that there is that. Of course, you want to get the word out. You want people to be aware of the existence of a film. Like, you know, if you type in lockdown, you get locked down the Anne Hathaway, uh, Chiwetel mm -hmm. Ejiofor uh, film, which we were actually shooting at the same time. No way. <laughs> so, um, uh, so, so you want to make sure that people know, okay, no, it's not a romantic comedy. <laughs> um, but um, mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, it's great that uh, thanks to the availability of, of the internet, of podcasts like yours, that people can 
can become aware and decide for themselves if they want to watch a film. And, and, but it is also getting yourself out there as well, isn't it? As a director and letting people know that. How are you, you know, because, you know, you have made some great films. And in fact, since we last spoke, you made Mute as well, again with Kevin Leslie and uh, Olivia as well. Uh, so yeah, I've done that. And actually when I go to Hong Kong, I'm shooting a, a, a TV, uh, sorry, a drama series uh, called Forensic Psychologist. Yes. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it's great to be doing that. It's great to be working on these different projects. But at the same time, again, you're right. You want to get out there. You kind of you're, you're in a way forced to get out there because it's your story that you're telling. Uh, but for me, I, I've always been of a belief that a work should speak for itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and ultimately, what we see on screen, you know, what the viewers will be watching for the next two hours, um, will be this ensemble cast uh, anchored by Kevin Leslie and, and Xander Berkeley. And I feel it's 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 their work, which I'm most proud of. It's their, it's their work that's shining. And for me, all I'm doing is is making people aware of the story and the existence of these people. And what about you then, like as a, a director and sort of, you know, uh, what's, you know, in that corner of, you have other projects, you've got this TV series now. Is that a case from now? Agents are going to come knocking, managers are going to come knocking, projects are going to come to you. Or are you going, it's fine, I'm, I'm, I've got my own path. I've got my own company. I don't necessarily need them. What What's in your mindset at the moment? It's a mixture. I mean, there are certain stories I want to tell. I've got my slate in terms of these other films and shows I want to do next. Mm. Uh, and so we've got um, a slate listed like Crypto Keepers, which is um, Asia's first NFT drama series. Um, it's something we're developing uh, for next year. We're doing, working on a zombie movie to shoot next year with great ensemble uh, from Japan, Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, US, UK. Uh, which again, Kevin has been cast in. Uh, and then, yes, yeah, so I've got those. At the very same time, I believe passionately about, you know, just like I've had the fortune of telling stories I want to tell and, and you've had the fortune to tell the stories that you want to tell. Mm -hmm. I'd love to be in a capacity, in a, in, a, in a position to be able to help other filmmakers tell their stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and so absolutely, I want to be receiving content. I want to receive projects. I want to see what can I do to help them? What can I do to get their projects get made if I believe in it strongly? Yeah. Um, there's something which, uh, which I loved as a kid. Uh, so a movie called Tape, which Richard Linklater made. Yes. And, uh, and it had Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, Robert Sean Leonard. And so that's, you know, sitting down as a kid, I think I was 14, uh, sitting down at the Odeon watching it. Uh, it made me think of the possibilities, uh, in terms of, of a story, what it was exploring and so on. And so one of the things that I'm doing is remaking it. Uh, so wow. I reached out. Yeah. Really? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, really. But what I decided originally, it was for me to direct, but then eventually I decided, no, I should produce it because I think it's a great movie, a great story. Uh, yeah. And so I reached out to Stephen Belber, who wrote the original film. Mm -hmm. um, and he's directed movies with Jennifer Aniston, Woody Harrelson, Patrick Stewart. And, and we, we have that same passion in terms of the story we want to tell. It's his story, it's his baby. So obviously his passion will always be bigger. But at the same time, it, it impacted me. And I want to be able to produce, you know, create this, this remake that mm. will impact others as well. I love that. And uh, has, he, has he got the rights back now? Because I imagine... Yeah. The rights for tape were bought up a while ago, but yeah, he, he's got. Yeah, them. so right. it's literally now come back uh, to Stephen. Uh, so that's why we're now in a position where we can get it get it remade. I love it, and I can see the excitement on your face as well when you're talking about it. You've got this big smile, and you're like, "Look, I want to make this." And I think as as filmmakers, we have to be that way. If any point we're not feeling that way about something, maybe you shouldn't do this one. And again, sometimes <laughs> you need to get paid for stuff, and you you know, working director, producer, writer. Hey, sometimes you need the the money, and you know, not yeah, a kick the wolf from the door. We can't always make projects we really want to make.
Absolutely, like Michael Caine with Jaws 4. <laughs> yeah, ex- well, exactly. Yeah. They bought him a house, he don't care. I don't yeah. care, whatever. He's still a superstar, isn't he? Um, and we're the same, but if you can get the opportunity to make your own films, I know there's some on my slate, there's some that I'm developing or have been massively developed and we're in the casting process now, are huge things that I've been wanting to make for ages, for years, since, like say, since I was a kid too, and, and suddenly they're becoming a thing. And I think the more you do, the more you put yourself out there, the more you create, these opportunities do come to you a little more or it's a little less hard when you're approaching an exec producer or money men because they can see your body of work. And as soon as they see your body of work, they go, oh, okay, this isn't some joke who's never made a film or made one little indie. This is someone who's made quite a lot now and they seem to know what they're doing and they seem to have made money from their films and they're talking about NFTs and they're talking about, you know, uh, ways of moving the business forward Agreed. and that's what investors want to hear absolutely no we're accountable to our the business standpoint um you know we're accountable to our investors we want them to continue believing in us you know we want to make yes. quality films that ultimately there is an audience for because without an audience our investors will be very unhappy <laughs> it's so true and we have to please them it's one of those things you can't you can't not it's really about you know if you want a career in this business and unless you've got oh, an infinite wealth of high net um, investors in your back pocket, which hardly any filmmaker does have, because that's the hardest yeah. bit to find the money. It's the hardest yeah, bit. You can all we can all find stories. We can all come up with something. Everyone, we do it all the time. Every time I've like been in a pub, and you, someone says, "What do you do?" You send a film. We go, "Ah, oh, I've got this idea for you." Everyone's yeah. got an idea. <laughs> Everyone has an idea. <laughs> it, it doesn't mean you can put it down on paper, and it certainly doesn't mean you can film it. Uh, and it definitely doesn't mean you can find investment for it. So <laughs> it's really hard, but it's doable and it's so exciting what you're doing. Just give us an overview on lockdown in terms of your feelings on it. Would you do it again that way? Would you've, you know, would it, would you have liked, if it hadn't been for lockdown, would you have done it? I think that's a really interesting thought on this. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's a weird film because it, lockdown, I would say, is very much a genre movie. It's very much a thriller. Mm. Uh, I'd say it's pulse pounding thriller that's an, kind of phone booth for today's generation love that yeah nice uh, and actually a uh, little trivia here the two main characters uh, are named after writer and director of phone booth stop it that's cool yeah <laughs> so um so i was like my my way of paying homage to them uh so yeah i i would have loved to have made a film like phone booth i don't know if i would have made it in the way that i did were it not for the actual lockdown yeah. uh, but um but yeah i, I think that because it's so unique, because it's so personal. Um, if I did it in any other way, it wouldn't feel as authentic. Uh, and yeah. so I'm delighted that we did it in the way I'm very proud of what we've made. Uh, and I think it's literally, it's uh, someone was saying uh, at the premiere last last week, that it feels like a full, full on proper intense thriller. Like it's a, it's a proper movie. It's a proper thriller. <laughs> it's not, movie. It doesn't feel like a <laughs> this small little gem, it feels like a, a mainstream movie. And I thought, I'm hoping that's a compliment. Well, yeah, yeah. You, you said it was, it was great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's amazing. It's a real, real huge achievement. Really well done. It's incredible. Very proud of you. It's great to hear, see your progress since you were last on the podcast as well and know that you're still making moves and the fact that you've, you're trailblazing through Hong Kong and, and that crossover. And honestly, to make the first, you know, um, Asian NFT feature is really impressive that it's going to go down in history right yeah well thank you i'm really proud it's it's a great thing uh and yeah as as you said in your in one of your earlier episodes you know it's, it's interesting what nfts can can mean for filmmakers 
Uh, and I'm keen to see more and more people explore it. And it was great that when we, when we partnered with Marvian, that we were able to do these, these NFT copies of a film. We even did a, an extended cut, uh, which we've only made two of. Right. We're saying further down the line, we're, we're going to release the extended cut two in the world uh, for public. It's really cool. It's an exciting time to be a filmmaker right now and you're really embracing that. And I love that you reached out after you'd heard our episode with uh, Orlando about NFTs and said, well, actually, I've just made one. Hey, let's talk. I was like, yeah, definitely. Um, even though the film's not out till November the 23rd, I was like, well, let's get you on now and we'll promote uh, the film and the build-up to it. And then when the film's coming out, we'll do another little promotion for it then and push it for you. But um, it, it's exciting. I, I, I love indie filmmakers. I love people keep making movies. It's just great. It's exciting. We're all like a small little community as well. Yeah, you know? very. I, I love that again. It's like yeah. we, it's this community. It really feels and... You know, it's a passion that you want, you want other people to succeed. You want to see other filmmakers' works on screen, you know, their passion projects. And you obviously you want it to be great. Because yes. again, you're an audience member. You want to watch great movies. And it's great that so many people are collaborating with each other. You know, like you and I both know Mitch. And, mm. um, and uh, the same is true because it's, it's again, it's not just about, about making it, but it, because filmmaking is such an intense process, yes. it also means you want to work with the right people because it's going to be, things are going to go wrong. Yep. And it all depends on the people you're with, but you can get through it. Yeah, uh, And I'm grateful for the people I work with. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. Um, bit of advice for your younger self, if you could tell your younger self before you started to make films, anything about becoming a filmmaker, what do you think you'd say? Be patient and uh, always be passionate. Never, never let yourself become lax. And yeah, if... I would say as time passes, you'll always have people say, being naysayers and, and, uh, and that's why lots of people eventually leave to, to other things. And I'm saying if you believe in yourself, if you absolutely believe that this is your calling in life, then, then just continue to work hard. But also listen, learn from others, develop yourself to be the best that you can be. Love that. That's really cool. What do you think you're going to take from making lockdown and, and use on your next feature or TV series? So something which I found interesting directing lockdown was um, I took it, I treated it like theatre. Mm. Um, so I, I said to you that I, we shot it twice. And that also means in the way we had to shoot it, like theatre, you know, one day and the next day the actors doing the, the same thing. And, uh, and the way we had the actors rehearse these large chunks and, and doing so much uh, together. Um, so I'm actually doing that same approach. I want to try do it again with my drama series, a forensic psychologist. Yeah. Uh, so I've told the actors, the cast there, that this is how we're going to be doing it. You know, we're treating it like theatre. It's theatre on film. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see how it, what it becomes, because I think it can be great. That's so great. Yeah, it is super exciting. Uh, Bijang Tong, thank you so much for joining us on this week's Filmmakers Podcast. Honestly, uh, it's really great. And thank you. Thank what you. a great, great interview. Really enjoyed that. Where can people find you on the socials? Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. So yeah, I mean, IG was, I was disappearing for a day like I think everyone else was using Instagram last week. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you can find me on there. Yeah. Oh, what? Just your name? Bijan Just Tong? Just my name. Bijan underscore Tong, I believe. There you go. Great. Seek him out. Say thank you for his time on this episode and follow him because he's trailblazing and you want to jump on his coattails and then others will jump on yours too. Remember, you can go out there and make it indie film, whether it be NFT, whether it be uh, Bitcoin, whether it be friends and family's money or a studio money, whatever it is you can get, 
then go out there and do it. If this is what you want to do, then do it. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you, Bijan. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.